Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Good morning, everybody. Hey, we are are officially in the middle of summer now, aren't we? This is great. It took us a minute to get here, but it is is fantastic. I'm enjoying the weather, and we've been, yes, it's great. I've been riding bikes with the kids and floated a river. It's been, um, after I talked about that Pegasus thing, my kids were like, we're riding it on 4th of July, and uh, it was a little embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really good. Hey, we're in the middle of a collection of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. So around here, um, we, we kind of teach or preach in uh, groups of thought. So some people call it a series or a collection of, of messages along the same thought. And so right now, we're in a, a whole series of messages on an idea that the Apostle Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5. He tells us, he says that we are to walk in step with the Spirit of God. That as, as believers, are, we're supposed to be people that, that walk in the Spirit. And then he tells us specifically what that looks like. So it says it right here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Um, it says that there's fruit that should grow in a believer's life. This is not, just to clarify, this is not a list of things you should do. Um, he actually contrasts the, this with a, a list of things people do. Because so many of us, uh, where we fall short of God's best for our lives, we find that it creates a lot of chaos in our lives, doesn't it? That was kind of like, uh-huh. Uh, how many know that you're the cause of most of the chaos in your life? <clears throat> and Paul calls it this way in, in the same chapter. He, he says it this way. He says that the things that are causing chaos in our lives are call, is the the works of the flesh. So this is when we're trying to take control of our lives. We're trying to be a self-made man, a self-made woman. Uh, the truth is we make a real mess of things because we're trying to achieve uh, our lives to look a certain way. And Paul says um, that God's plan for your life is that your life would be like a tree that produces fruit. The tree naturally produces the fruit. The the farmer doesn't force the fruit from the tree. All the farmer does is cultivate the soil, cultivate the environment. And Paul says, there's going to be things that happen in your life, not a new list of things to do, but as you cultivate your walk with God, as you press into the Spirit of God moving and working inside of you, this idea of sanctification or regeneration in your life, that there's going to be new things that pop up inside of you that you just haven't discovered yet. And here's a list of them. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. He's saying that there is, there is this, this fruit that's going to grow in your life if, you are, um, if you're following Jesus. It's just going to happen. It's a natural response. But it's not something you do. It's simply something you cultivate. And one day you're going to look back and say, oh, my goodness. I am more patient than I ever was before. Growth is not something we observe. It's something we can measure against previous benchmarks. So you don't see your children growing. But when you go to your parents' house and they put them up against the masking tape line, or some of you that are homeowners, you have it right on the door because you're like, this is my door anyway. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> thank you for the laugh. Uh, you can measure growth against benchmarks. And you're going to discover that the longer you spend time with God, the more you're going to grow in these areas of your life. There's no law anywhere in the world against these things. There's no law. So today we're in the fruit of uh, goodness, which goodness is a great one because goodness, it feels a lot like kindness to me. Kindness seems like it's, like a, it's a gimme. It's like, oh, yeah, like ki- kindness, yeah, that should, we should be kind. Goodness is like, yeah, we should be good. I, again, I remember seeing goodness. Uh, it was like something on the hallway in the, in, the, in the elementary school. Like on the side, there's like goodness, kindness. Like we're supposed to, be, supposed to be good people. Good citizen award. Like, yeah, we're supposed to be good. And the truth is, I think all of us want to be good people. All of us want to be seen as good people. And if you're like me, you, you like to ensure that other people see how amazing you are. Um, at my house, uh, there's, there's I, I try to help out around the house and, and, and just if I can find something to do, I'll, I'll do it. And one of the things that I've discovered that I'm pretty incredible at is, um, is doing dishes. And uh, so, <laughs> but I don't just do the dishes. When I do the dishes, I, I like, I'll do them and then I'll be like, and my wife will walk through the room and be like, hey, babe, you see this? I'll open the door and be like, see all that steam? That's me. Like, I did that. I did that. And then, like, that's amazing. You know, thank me for how amazing. Because honestly, like, I'm just, this is how, how us men are, right? Like, we need someone to recognize that, like, the, the little bit we've done. Like, please see how good I am. It's, uh, it's with, I had somebody once tell me, I said something like that, and one of the men in the church said, well, you're a pastor, uh, you don't have a real job, so you have time to do uh, dishes. I was like, thanks for that, that's pretty brutal. Um, that's right, pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> but the real question is this, what is, what is good? What does it mean When Paul says goodness should be a fruit in your life, what does that even mean? Because good means a lot of things. Good, like something that's good is apple pie, somebody. Apple pie is good on a summer night with some vanilla ice cream. Like that's good. Something that is good all the time. It has never not been good. Well, that's not true. But mostly never not been good is apple pie from McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? That, That little... That's like a little miracle pill, right? That's amazing. And then take it up a notch to caramel apple empanadas from Taco Bell. That's the will of God. Like, that's good. 
It's good. Other things that are good, like a, like a good night kiss. That's good. If you're married. And uh, what is good? It, it, you know, what, what is something that is good? I, I could say coffee is good. And some of you would be like, I don't think coffee is good. And, and that's where the idea of good really takes a turn, isn't it? Because good really determines, like, it's based on who is saying it's good. What do we do when what I call good and what you call good are different things? So when I was a kid, back, back in the olden days, we were allowed to play guns in the woods, like pretend guns. Like we could do that without, we could do this in the schoolyard and, and we wouldn't get suspended. Like <laughs> we do laser guns. Remember laser guns? That's, that's how we do laser. You cross your fingers, it becomes a lasers. You guys get suspended for that, but we would run around and we'd play that. And here's the deal. I was always the good guy, and they were always the bad guy, right? When we play cops and robbers, I'd always be the good guy, you'd be the bad guy. And, and if I was the robbers, you were just bad cops. Like, that, that's, this, we always see ourselves as good, and we see the other people as bad. Every war that we've ever fought, we were the good guys. But, but the, you know, let, me, let me tell you something. The people on the other side, to them, they were the good guys. Like, nobody's like, we're going to go to war. We're going to be the bad guys. <laughs> Nobody does that. But the problem is sometimes our view of what is good is different than how somebody else perceives good. So what do we do when there's disagreements about what is actually good? Well, what do we do when we're in a situation where there are two options that are both good options, but you've got to choose one or the other, and then you have to choose the greater good. Like, what do we do in those moments? Or, or what do you do when your only pair of shoes to wear to church are Crocs? My son, going to youth camp, he was like, hey, uh, somebody's looking at their feet right now. They're like, uh. I had somebody after first service, they're like, they brought their mom over who, who couldn't hear me. And she, they were like, hey, mom, show the pastor your shoes. And she couldn't hear. And she's like, I was like, those are very nice shoes. Here's the deal. So, <laughs> that's great. Um, my son going to youth camp, he's like, hey, dad, I'm, I need some Crocs. I was like, you can have my old Crocs. And he's like, yeah. He's a, he gets these, he, he's like, it's super cool. We're wearing Crocs. And my wife's like, that's because we're in Idaho. It's just behind the times. And I'm, I'm like, babe, we're from Alaska. We don't have the right to say that. And. And I get to youth camp, and all of you guys are wearing Crocs, and I don't know. We need to talk about the definition of good. Is <laughs> All my nurses are glaring at me right now. How dare you talk about our Crocs? Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. If, if you're here today and... Maybe you're not, you're not a believer or you're new to the Christian faith or, or maybe you're just, you're just checking things out still. I want you to know what we believe about you. You may not share the same faith as us, but we believe wholeheartedly that you are God's handiwork. That you are special to God. Like you are very, like if, if he was taking time to make something, it was you. And we believe, like, if God had a refrigerator, he would put your picture on the refrigerator. That's what we believe about you. It says, you, you are God's 
handiwork. Every single person in this room, God's handiwork. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God desires us to do good works, but not so that he'll approve of us. You're already incredibly special to him. So the real question is, what does good mean? And and when I prepare for these messages, I do a lot of really uh, in-depth study. And so I went to dictionary.com, and (laughs) there was dozens of answers for the definition of good or goodness. And so I I couldn't pick one. I should have just picked one that suited my message. Instead, what I did was I looked at the Greek words. And in Greek, the Greek word here for uh, for goodness in in Galatians chapter 5, it's a word... um, Basically, I'm going to cut the word down to a root, so it's agatha, which if you know someone named agatha, that means good. It means goodness. And agatha, it, it means an inherent goodness or, or a goodness that is rooted in our faith in God or rooted in who we are in God. That's, we can get a little bit more clear of an understanding by looking at a at a, uh, basically a synonym, uh, kalos, which it's another word for goodness, and it means beautiful as in an outward sign of an inward good. So when Paul is talking about goodness, he's, he's not saying we should show good works by handing out ice cream to children and petting stray dogs. He means that there's something consistent in us, like it's an outward beauty based on the inward connection we have with God. So this morning, I, I woke up and I told my wife as, as I was getting dressed, it took me a little longer. Usually, the way I get dressed is I roll out of bed and whatever's closest gets put on. <laughs> People are like, you wore that yesterday. I was like, yeah, because I took it off close to my bed. Like, that's, that's what I'm wearing. And uh, so I, 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 I put, put my clothes on, and I was like, babe, I don't, I don't, I don't have any clothes. And, and when I say I don't have any clothes, here's what I mean. I mean, I didn't take the time to wash my clothes or to put them in a hamper so they get washed with someone else's clothes. Like, I just mean I've been lazy. That's what I, re- that's what I mean, right? I've not got clothes. They're not ready. Because the truth is I'll wear whatever. You, like, I, it doesn't matter. But, but the other thing I mean when I say I don't have any clothes is I've, I've lost a little bit of weight over the last little month or so. And so sometimes my pants don't fit like they used to fit. You know what I'm saying? And... Um, and thank you, because the first service was, like, cheering when I said that. And I was like, like, did you guys think I was going to have a heart attack? Or, like, what's going on? It was a little weird. But so, so when I say I don't have any clothes, I mean, I didn't get any clothes ready. And, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I don't necessarily fit my clothes right now. That, that's all I mean. When my wife says she doesn't have any clothes, it means something completely different. When, I'm about to help somebody's marriage right now. So when, when my wife says, I don't have any clothes, and I'm looking, and she's got a closet full of clothes. When I was 
immature and young in our marriage, I'd say, what do you mean you don't have any <laughs> But I have since learned. When my wife says I don't have any clothes, it does not mean she's outgrown her clothes. It does not mean that, uh, that she hasn't taken the time to like fold her clothes. What it means is this. I don't have any clothes that reflect the way I feel this morning. That's what she means. She means I'm feeling super sporty this morning and I don't have anything that feels the way I feel sporty right now. Like she's saying, all my clothes look a little too sophisticated. I'm feeling quite grungy this morning and I need a little grunge in my life. She, she's, she's saying, I don't have something that feels. Ladies, I need you to help me out. Am I telling the truth? Okay, thank you. Men, listen, listen. Don't tell them, yes, you do. No, say, baby, you look fine. You put on whatever. This is what Paul means when he says goodness. He's saying goodness is like putting on a clothing that reflects what's going on on the inside. So it's not behaving good. It's having this internal connection between who you are in God and what is being reflected to the world around you. Another word to use here to make more sense is the word integrity. It's an integrity between what God is doing inside of you and the world around you. Integrity comes from a root word, integer, which if you remember from school, the word integer means a whole number. It's the idea of being whole, being complete, not needing anything else, reflecting everything on the outside that you are on the inside. So when Paul says that we should be marked by a fruit called goodness, he's saying you should be marked by a fruit of completeness in who you are. Not duplicitous, not one way in front of somebody and another way in front of someone else. Here's what Hawthorne wrote, he, he said this, no man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without getting bewildered as to which may be the truth. When Paul says goodness, he, he doesn't mean he, he wants you uh, to, to be the person uh, that, that's that's just, just the, the life of the party or, or the person that's, that's always looking the nice. What he means is I want you to be the kind of person that reflects on the outside what God is already doing on the inside. This is not a behavior. This is a consistency. This is a wholeness about your life that reflects what a believer really is. So Matthew chapter 7, it says it like this. Verse 17. A good tree... Remember, talking about goodness. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Just, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. 
I'm telling somebody today that God's plan for your life is not that you would have a little bit of progress in one area of your life and neglect another area of your life. God's plan for spiritual maturity, God's plan for sanctification or growing in Christ is this idea that he wants you to be whole, a good tree that produces good fruit because if the roots of the tree are bad, if the core of the tree is bad, you can pretend all day that the fruit is good, but it will not be good. But if you'll work on the core, if you'll work on the roots, you're going to have good fruit. You're going to have good fruit. And, and when I hear this, like, okay, God wants me to be a good tree. A fruit of the Spirit is goodness. My next question is, then give me a list, <laughs> you know, like, just give me a list of do's and don'ts. If you give me the list, I can, anybody else grow up in a super religious church? Like, you're, you, you, I'm the only one. Okay, so we got a couple. Like, <clears throat> like, you just give me a list, and I can manage that stuff. Like, I can, I can list my way through it. And so, fortunately, the Bible gives us a list of what it looks like, according to God, to be good. It says it this way. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. This is God's definition of good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? And that's something we can all get behind. We see that. It doesn't matter. I mean, you may not be a believer in the room, but you're like, those first two, like, I'm down for those first two. That, that seems good to me, right? To, to do justice. It's, it's God's plan for his people to be people who reconcile the world through justice and, and help the world. Like, we love the Justice League because we believe in the idea of justice, and then he said, people that love kindness. This is, kindness is, is love being displayed towards others. It's, it's a willingness to help others. And, and we're like, yes, like you don't even, like everybody's about that. That's easy. But, but the truth is he, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say just do justice and love kindness. He says, you've also got to walk humbly before God. Walk Humbly before God, and, and, and that's where it becomes difficult to agree with God's definition of goodness. Be because most of us, we really love the idea of kindness, we love the idea of justice, but I don't want God to dictate what is kind and what is just. I don't want God's opinion inserted into, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, keep God off of me. And so what happens is we believe a lie that says, I can be kind and I can be just without God's rule in my life. And what happens is we begin to believe a lie that God's desire, God's plan for your life is oppressive, that, that you would be more free without him, that sin offers more enjoyment than God offers, that, 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 that everything in life would just be easier if, if God would not impose his will or rule. 
and the greatest counterfeit to goodness in the world is truth, love, or justice without a humility towards God. If you seek justice, but you still stand in opposition to God, it is a counterfeit goodness. If you seek love, but you still stand in opposition to God, it is counterfeit goodness. And, and the problem is, is that in our culture, we, we just don't like the idea of, of a God that demands the final say. We, we don't want a God with an absolute final truth. We live in a world where the very word truth is seen as, as a harsh word because we all have a truth. We, we live in a world where we, we want people to, to, to say, like, that there's, you have your truth, I have my truth. In fact, I was told this before in college, there are no absolute truths. And for the record, that statement is an absolute statement. So if you believe there are no absolute truths, the statement there are no absolute truths is an absolute truth. But we live in this world where we want to compartmentalize. And, and this is why it's so easy for us to say, I want God's goodness in the world. I want love. I want justice. I want kindness. I just don't want God's rule in my life. And so what we do is we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? I can be one person in church. I can be another person at home. I can be another person in the workplace. We can, we can do all of these things separately and somehow try to manage them. In fact, you might have experienced something like this where someone would say, like, I love that you're, you're a Christian. I love that you're a believer. Um, you, you go ahead and you believe what you want. Just don't bring that into the public world. Keep your faith private Faith is a private thing, not a public thing. The moment someone tells you that, they're making their views on faith public. Their view on faith has now been publicized and is being imposed on you. And it's forcing you to live a compartmentalized life. I'm telling you, God's desire for you is not compartmentalization. God's desire for you is integrity, integer, wholeness. I'm one person in church. I'm one person at home. I'm one person in the workplace. All the same person. Thank you. All goodness comes from God. And it comes from the, the conviction that God is trustworthy. This is, this is why we struggle with that last piece of walking humbly before God, because we struggle to believe God is trustworthy. And this is the original sin that Adam and Eve experienced. When, when the scripture tells us of their, of their transgression against God, it's that they just didn't believe he was trustworthy. They didn't believe he was good. Look at this in Genesis chapter 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman. This is really an interesting spot in scripture. I don't know how to reconcile. There's a talking snake. And the Lord God, uh, all the, 
the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You will die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. You you see, here's the problem. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Adam and Eve believed in God. And maybe some of you in the room today, that's, your, that's where you're at. You're coming to a place where you, you're wrestling through whether or not you actually believe in God. And that's fine. Stick around as long as you want. Ask all the questions you want. We love your questions. And we believe God is not afraid of them. But once you believe in God, the next big step is to begin to believe God. And that's where Eve struggled. She didn't just believe in God. She walked with him in the cool of the evening. She just didn't believe him. We struggle with believing or trusting God, and, and it comes down to that idea of absolutes, of, 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 of knowing that there's a God that says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, we, because we don't believe in the integrity of God himself, we can't have integrity ourselves. We can't be complete ourselves if we don't understand that God himself is Complete. Tim Keller says it like this, distrust in the integrity of God immediately destroys the integrity of man. It's the moment we say, I believe God, I just think he didn't think through this situation properly. I believe God, I just don't think he understands all the nuances of this category. It's in that moment that our own integrity falls apart. Adam's sin was to distrust God and to seek his own understanding of goodness outside of God. And the reason he would distrust God and the reason he would look for God out, or for goodness outside of God comes down to this, a fundamental belief that something other than God would satisfy him. Can I tell you that nothing in this life will satisfy you the way God can satisfy you? And you may be here today and you're like, actually, Pastor Lake, I, I get where you're coming, coming from here, but I, I don't believe God will satisfy me and, and I've been fine for all these years. And I'd say, I, I hear you. And I've gone down my own road with that. And I would say just as concerning me, not you, but for me, I discovered that when when I thought I would be satisfied by the approval of other 
people. I found myself living a life driven by the fear of their rejection. And every decision I made and every choice I made was out of a fear of rejection of other people. And when I found myself living a life where I thought I would be satisfied by accomplishing something or, 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 or some sort of ambition in my life, I discovered that what appeared to be ambition to someone else was really me being driven by a fear of failure. And it looked like success to you. But when I went to bed at night, I was still nervous because I was afraid of failing. And, and when I thought I would be satisfied by having things with brand names or things that were shiny or things that other people would look on and say, he's successful, I discovered that the truth is I was driven by a fear of poverty. And every time I got money in my hands, I wanted to buy something I couldn't afford just so I could prove to someone else that I was successful based on what I had. And it never worked for me. Let me just say, if you believe that you will be satisfied in life when life becomes predictable, you're going to be consumed by worry. And you're going to be driven by a need to control. I'm telling you, the only place you'll find satisfaction is when you simply walk before God humbly, when you trust God that when he says something, it's true. And this is, this is what we fundamentally believe. It's, in theology, we would say it like this. Orthodoxy produces orthopraxy, or right thinking, or actually right worship produces right behavior. So what we believe about God produces how we behave towards God and other people. And if I believe that God won't satisfy me, I will find myself chasing for a new love, chasing for a new career, chasing for all these things, looking for satisfaction in my life. But when I believe that God is the only one that is good and he's the only one that satisfies my life, I will find this wholeness, this contentedness in my life where I can stay put right where I am knowing that he's always good all the time. You, you will not obey a God you do not trust. And all Goodness comes from the conviction that God is trustworthy. Uh, Romans chapter 7 says it like this in verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And I know that rubs some people wrong just now. You're like, I, I'm a good person. And I would agree, you're a great person, that's fine. But let me finish this passage. You'll see that it applies to you as well. He says, I know nothing good is in me because... In my flesh, uh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Paul's saying this, he's saying, he's saying there's this thing inside of me that even though I know what's good and I know what I want to do, I still don't seem to do it. And the things I try to avoid, I still do the things I try to avoid. And that's the real problem. Because when we seek goodness in ourselves, we'll never find it. It's when we recognize that God alone is good that we can find this integrity with God in our lives. This is, this is, Again, if you're new to the church, maybe you're just checking things out, I'm going to describe the people sitting next to you just 
They're not going to like it. But I'm going to, so you can get a glimpse into their world. When we seek goodness outside of God, here's what happens. We become really good at loving God and, and being, being good in our private life. And so what happens is we're the kind of person that prays with our family for dinner. We tuck our kids in for bed. We read devotionals. We're just like super good people at home and like just prayerful. I mean, just have like just that we walk in the house and it just smells like potpourri and like it's just amazing. But then when you go to our workplace, what happens is you discover we're absolute jerks at work, steamroll people. Like you wouldn't know we're a believer, Or, or the other side is true. The other side is true. We're, we're at work in public. We're this really good person, like really faithful to the things of God. Like in, in our work dealings, we're just consistently like have integrity. We're, we're the kind of person that's in church every Sunday. We teach a Bible study. Like we're just, we're just outwardly, everybody that knows us in the community is like, oh my goodness, your dad is such a great believer. But what they don't know is that at home, he becomes an absolute tyrant, yelling and, and, and growling and angry all the time in front of everybody else, super godly, super good, but privately, super. And so what happens is we flip it. We're either really good privately or really good publicly, but we really struggle to be people of integrity, don't we? And I'm saying God's desire, a fruit. This is not something you can force to happen. It's something that happens when you cultivate the spirit of God in your life. And that is this. We become the kind of people who are consistent at home and we're consistent at work. We're consistent at church and we're consistent in the coffee shop. I'm just saying we should be people of integrity. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, if you think you are not conceited, you are very conceited indeed. <laughs> if, if, Pastor, this isn't my problem. It's probably very much your problem. Because we discover that even though we love the Lord, even though we're people that pursue him, there's still places in our life where we just can't keep our promises. There's, there's places in our life where we care about who we're seen with in public or, or maybe you're abrasive towards those people that you care about and you love or, or maybe you've become so, like you love the Lord, but you're so sensitive and worried about the opinions of other people that you're unapproachable and even the people that love you the most can't speak into your life. I'm just saying that's not consistent. And so Adam and Eve, they, they, they take this fruit and they eat this fruit because they, they believe, for whatever reason, they believe the lie that God is not trustworthy. He's not good. And the only way for me to have goodness in my life is if I am the judge of good or bad. So they take it and they eat it. And here are three symptoms of what will happen in your life if you're living outside of the goodness of God and you're trying to bring your own goodness into the world, here are three things you will see in your own life. They take the fruit, and the very first thing they do, in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Genesis, it says this, At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
you'll know you're trying to pursue goodness on your own when you constantly need to paint over things, to cover it up, to put it under the rug, to, to put rouge on it, to pretend like it isn't what it is. It's what we do, isn't it? We don't want anybody to see that this is what I've done. So what we'll do is we'll cover it up. The next thing they do in, in verse 8, it says this, And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The next thing we'll do when we're seeking our own goodness is we'll hide. We'll try to cover things up to pretend like it never happened. The next thing we'll do is we'll hide, especially from God. We, we turn away from spending time in his word. We turn away from maybe listening to worship in, in, in times when we normally would. We, we, we find ourselves trying to be uh, away from other believers, away from the house of God. And we think, I can do this on my own, but the truth is there's really a sense of I'm, I'm hiding. And the third thing that will happen says this in verse 11. Says you, you've, this is God speaking. He said, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God knows the answer to that, but he asks. And the man replies, it was that woman. <laughs> that you gave me. You see that, right? Adam is blaming two different people. He's blaming that woman. This is like the only time in my life I'm allowed to say that. My wife, like, she would not. So, so here, be here. <laughs> he's, blaming, he's blaming Eve. But who's he really blaming? You did it. You're the one that. How many times do we find this in our own life? God, it's that husband that you gave me. That's the real problem here. Like, God, it's that career that you put me in. Like, God, it's that stupid house that you gave us. And we'll find ourselves covering up the things in our life, hiding and blaming and pointing the fingers at other people when we seek goodness on our own because in us there is no inherent goodness. All goodness comes from God alone. And so when we have his goodness in our life, we begin to display goodness. And what's so incredible about this passage is it doesn't stop there. God begins to kind of fix the whole situation as the band would come. God begins to fix the whole situation, and he makes this promise or this prophecy to the woman. He says this. He says that out of you, like one of your great, 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 great grandchildren, there will be a seed. This, this child will be born, and he will crush the head of this serpent that looks for satisfaction in something other than God. It will crush this idea that I'm satisfied through approval, that I'm satisfied through chasing ambition, that I'm satisfied by collecting nice things. It's going to crush the head of that thing, and it will show you, it will demonstrate to you that you are satisfied in God alone. And thousands of years pass. And about 2,000 years ago from our time, give or take, 
probably give or take 20 years. A child is born, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He's Jesus Christ. He's, he's not some just emissary that God sends to somehow take care of God's business. He's not some sort of little God on the side. He is literally God revealing himself in flesh. He's literally God showing up. The word of God in flesh shows up because he's here to do one thing and that's to crush the head of a little snake that whispers in your ear and says you'll be satisfied by something outside of God. He's going to crush the head of that idea that that I'll be satisfied if I can just find the right lover. I'll be satisfied if I find the right career. And the crazy thing is this. He lives his entire life with integrity. His entire life, he's completely consistent. Even though people were trying to trick him in his words and trying to make him say things he wasn't saying, he always responded with a good word. He, He never spoke ill of anyone. He was this person that was completely perfect in every way because he found his goodness, his satisfaction in God alone. And that's what Jesus demonstrates, that you can be satisfied in God alone, not satisfied in a bigger house, not satisfied in a better job. I can be satisfied in God alone. And he takes all of those things that separate us from God, all of those things that we go to looking for hope and goodness in, and he says, I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to leave every one of those things at the foot of a cross. And when he does this, what happens is that in the temple, the place where, where people could commune with God, where they could spend time with God, Jesus dies releasing every expectation of being satisfied in something other than God. And what happens is there's this huge curtain between the presence of God and the common people. And it rips from bottom to top. It it just rips from top to bottom. It just, just pulls apart. And what happens is that the presence of God is available to you and to me. And it's no longer some special thing behind a curtain. And Jesus demonstrates that you can be satisfied with God alone. That when you understand he is good in and of himself, you don't have to go looking for another lover. You don't have to go looking for a new place to live. You don't have to find I'm the new you because you can be satisfied and walk humbly before God because you trust him in Jesus you can stop covering things up Because really, when we cover things up, we're we're doing the opposite of justice, aren't we? That's where most injustice happens, when we cover things up. We just put a fresh coat of paint on it and pretend like in, in Jesus, you can stop covering up the lies. In fact, in Jesus, you can be covered by the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of the injustices in our life. In Jesus, you can stop hiding You can start living a life open towards other people with kindness and love. You can love kindness in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that you can hide under the shadow of God's wings. 
You need a place to find comfort? It's close to him. It's not far. And in Jesus, you can stop blaming and pointing your fingers at that situation that did you wrong, at that boss that mistreated you, at that ex-spouse that betrayed you. And in Jesus, we find this perfect expression of love called forgiveness. I'm just telling somebody today that if you're looking for goodness, it doesn't happen when you try hard. It happens when you seek to know the goodness of God and then you just try to remain in the goodness of God, consistent in the goodness of God. You'll experience what the Bible calls the goodness of God in the land of the living. Would you stand with me all across the room? I just kind of want you to put yourself in a, in a posture of, of receiving what God has for you. For me, that often looks like just kind of like, what do you have for me? God, I'm, I'm walking away from, God, we collectively are walking away from the things outside of you that we hope will satisfy. And we choose right now to trust your word, to trust your integrity. God, I pray that you would make us people of justice, that we would be your people who, who do the world right, who stand for the oppressed, those people of yours that have a voice for the voiceless, that we would be people seek justice and good in the world. God, I pray you would, that your love and your kindness would be displayed in us and through us. Most importantly, God, help us to be people that walk humbly before you. Help me to stop second-guessing your decisions and your choices. Help me to, to stop thinking I know better than you. Because the truth is I want your goodness in this valley and in this country. Maintain the sort of posture towards God you have right now. Just kind of stay in that place. If you're in the room today, and for you, when I, when I talked about walking humbly before God, for you, you know that's right where you are. Like That's your next step. Your next step is to let God be God in your life. Maybe for you, you've been doing your own thing for too long, trying to find your own goodness for too long. And right now you're ready to say, God, I want you to be God in my life. If that's you, you're ready to turn back towards him or you're ready to turn to him.
for the first time, would you put up a bold hand, a, a tall hand? I see that tall hand. Anybody else has got a tall hand towards God? I see that. I see that. Here's what we're going to do. We're simply going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And he'll start to show you how he is the only one that satisfies. If you raised your hand, pray something like this with me. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I've been trying to do it on my own without you. It's not working. I'm sorry. I believe that Jesus died on a cross that he was buried and that three days later he rose again with all power in his hands. And right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people that have just made the most important decision of their lives. Come on, let's worship the Lord together as a church family. This can be the greatest summer of your life if you choose to have integrity with who God is in your life and allow His goodness to overflow. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.